You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hey everybody, it is Wednesday evening, time for American Winer on podcastdetroit.com. How the hell is everyone doing? My guest tonight joining us via Skype, my old friend, Mr. Rob Masters. Rob, how you doing? I'm doing well, Alex. How are you? I'm good. We have not talked uh, much at all. We've we've had a couple of Facebook in, interactions over the years, but it was 2010 was the last time I saw you. And there was a point in my life where we were hanging out pretty much every every day, every other day uh, for a couple of years there in the mid-2000s. So uh, I thought that um, it would be interesting to do a podcast, which is essentially a phone conversation between the two of us just catching up with each other. Um, and uh, you were the guy I selected to do that with because it's been so fucking long. And so here we are. Um, so how, how, how have you been, man? Uh, getting by, getting by. Uh, I am now living in Alabama, which if you had told me back the last time we talked to each other that at this point in my life, I'd be living in Mobile, Alabama, I'd have called you a dirty liar. <laughs> right. Uh, you would have. So this is where I am now. Um, and, uh, so we should, we should do some, uh, exactly. I did know that you were living in Mobile, um, we should do a little bit of uh, of background. Um, I, I, the first time I remember seeing you, I was a bagger at Farmer Jack, uh, and uh, that would have been in like 2003. And you got hired as a bagger because you had just moved to South Lyon. And then uh, I saw you around school, and then uh, I was in the drama program, and that was where uh, I saw it. that was where I started to get to know you a little bit better. And then after high school. I don't know if if it was just because we didn't have anything else to do or, or I don't know how we ended up hanging out so much, but for some reason me and you started hanging out and then it just kind of took off from there. And then, and then it went on for a couple of years until you went to, uh, you, you moved to uh, Dearborn Heights and then, uh, and then we still kept in touch and we was kind of, you know, on and off and all that. But then, uh, 2010 was when you left Michigan and, uh, and so here, and then that was it. So here we are now in 2019. Um, but so I guess what we'll start off with, man, I'll ask you some questions. Like, so you left Michigan in what was it like the summer of 2010, the fall of 2010, something like that. Um, years kind of have passed by on a blur. So I'm assuming you're correct with it being 2010, but yes, in July that year, I actually joined the Marine Corps and I went out to boot camp and, did the whole Marine thing for a couple of years. Uh, and then while I was in the Marines, <laughs> it's actually kind of a funny story. Uh, I was so far away from Michigan and, you know, Detroit and all that sort of stuff. And I loved the Detroit Revings. So I, I had a Twitter account at the time, but I never really used it. And I started getting involved in Detroit Red Wing communities on Twitter uh, just to sort of keep in touch with people that actually follow the team. Because when you're in, uh, I was in Beaufort, South Carolina. Uh, I was an air traffic controller for the Marines and nobody in South Carolina really cared about hockey in general. So I went online and in that Twitter community, which was, it was actually a really big, really connected community we did some really awesome things but that's a different story uh i actually ended up meeting my future wife on twitter um so once i got out of the marines i ended up moving down to alabama i actually i went up to michigan for about two weeks when i got out of the marines grabbed a greyhound bus ticket for a week-long trip to head down to alabama to meet her and came down, spent the week, never went back to Michigan. That was how it happened then, huh? It was because you met the, the woman who ended up being your wife. Yes. See, I That's never knew I that. ended up in Alabama. Yeah, and, and so you just stayed because of her and it just, it just worked out? Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Uh, the the night before I was supposed to leave, we just, you know, we sat there, you know, hugging and crying and just being all emotional about it. And I was like, what if I just didn't fucking leave? <laughs> and now here we are nine years after the fact or however long it's been. Yeah. And uh, still still together. So what did you do, though? Like, Because you were like, okay, I'm not leaving. So what, did, what you were like, okay, so I, I should probably get a job or like, what was the, what was the plan after you decided you were going to stay? Well, I, I lived off my tax returns for a couple of months, uh, because the Marine Corps paid decent. So I had enough money when the tax returns came in and then I ended up getting a job, uh, a little bit down the street from where I was staying at a, a Hardy. I ended up being a manager. I walked in filled out an application and they were like, you were in the Marines. I was like, yeah. They were like, do you want to be a manager? I was like, sure. I like to crack skulls. <laughs> and, uh, from that point on, I just started my, uh, my restaurant career. And, uh, ever since then I've been just jumping from restaurant to restaurant and doing all sorts of things. Uh, so at this point, um, I don't know how technical people want to be, but I consider myself a chef. Uh, I, I worked at a high-end Italian restaurant for a little bit. I was the, the pizza chef there. Um, and now I'm currently managing a, uh, a barcade that we just opened up. Um, a little fun fact for, for your listeners out there. I'm, uh, everybody, when they think of Mardi Gras, probably thinks of New Orleans. But uh, Mardi Gras actually originated in Mobile, Alabama. It's where the first Mardi Gras ever started. Uh, so it's a big deal down here. And uh, we opened a, it's called Game Over Retro Pub. Uh, and we opened the day before Mardi Gras this year. Uh, and I am the kitchen manager there. And it's, and a, it's an arcade? Now. You said it's an, ar- it's an arcade, like with old video games and things? It's a barcade. Oh, a barcade. It's just drinks and uh philly cheesesteaks and all sorts of craft fillies and things like that um but yeah it's like you know we have old pinball machines and like marvel versus capcom arcade games and things like that and uh we're thinking of getting you know things like you know skee-ball and air hockey and stuff like that yeah that's um, fucking awesome that's a great fit for you yeah, it's uh it's a lot of fun. Uh I ran a special a couple a couple weeks ago. Uh it was really successful and you know, it's just an opportunity to kind of flex, you know, what I could do in the kitchen. Yeah, like what's your what are some of the restaurants that you worked at? They said you you worked Italian. Um you started off at a Hardee's. Where else have you worked? Uh well, after Hardee's, I actually ended up going and managing a five guys for about seven years. Oh. Um, and that was way too long to be doing that. <laughs> uh, seven years of just doing burgers and fries. It got stagnant. So I decided to kind of push myself out of my comfort zone. And I walked into, uh, it was called Pizzeria Delfina. It's a really good Italian restaurant, downtown Mobile. And I walked in there, talked to the owner, and he's like, I might have a position opening up in a couple of weeks. And I just kept staying on him, staying on him. And then I got there, and uh, we ended up getting nominated for some awards for best Italian in the the city and things like that. And uh, it was a really fun experience there. Uh, But then when I got, when I heard about this new, game over place that they were opening um actually was a a former employee of mine when i was at five guys she is now the general manager of game over so we've kind of swapped positions a little bit uh but it's kind of funny how that came around so now i'm working for her instead of her working for me what was it like i mean what, what was it like managing is that i mean I could see how you you would uh, adhere to that, but it's not the sort of thing that, like you said, just like you ending up in mobile, it's not or mobile, it's not something that I would have uh, guessed at back in the day. You know that you this is what you'd end up doing. 
So like, what was it like to sort of adapt to, to managing and, and what sort of challenges did you face? Well, a lot of people assume that because you were in the military, you can, you know, manage people. But what they don't understand is when you're in the military and I'm in charge of you, if I tell you to do something, you have to do it. And that's one of the biggest challenges is realizing you're not dealing with junior Marines and people that are going to do exactly what you say, exactly the way you tell them to. You're dealing with, you know, people that are older than you that don't want to respect your authority because you're just some, you know, young kid, whatever. And you're dealing with high school kids who've never had a job and don't know how to be told that they're doing things wrong. Uh, you know, that whole millennial culture, blah, blah, blah thing. So that that was probably the biggest challenge for me personally was realizing, like, you need to find new ways to get people to do what you want them to do. Um, and I kind of adapted this mentality, and it's sort of been my mantra ever since. It's like captains versus coaches. Whereas, you know, if you think of it like a sports team, the coach knows everything they possibly could know about the sport, right? But they're not out there making the plays and doing the things that you're doing. They're just telling you what to do and expecting it to get done. But the captain who's out there with you, out there on the ice or on the field or however you want to look at it, whatever your sport of the day may be, they're out there with you. They're your leadership but they're also helping you get the job done. So I like to think of myself as more of a captain than a coach. Okay. And that was really how I started connecting with my subordinates. Uh, you said you consider yourself a chef now. What kind of dishes do you specialize in? Like what's your, what do you like to make? Um, really my, my favorite thing is just, I like a challenge. So uh, my wife will just be like, you know what? I'm, I feel like uh, Southwestern chicken today. And I'll just be like, all right, how do I make this work? And then I come up with something and I do it. Uh, a couple months back, she challenged me. It was, I think I was at work and I got that little phone buzz in my pocket and I open it up and I read it. And she's like, your challenge right now is make a dip. And your two main components are cream cheese and Koneka sausage. And Koneka sausage is a local brand of sausage down in southern Alabama. I'm sure they spread like further, but it's, it's a local brand and it's probably some of the best sausage I've ever had. Uh, so my thing with that was just how do I make this work? And I ended up developing this recipe for it. And working at a high-end restaurant, at, as I was at the time, uh, I had a really good test audience or to, to bounce this off of. So I, I ended up making it like a bunch of different times, changing things, tweaking it, and everybody loved it. So I'd say, you know, that's, that's my specialty right now would be my connect a bit. Uh, but really, I just like, you know, making things I've never tried before or trying new ways to make things. Like when I was at five guys, I would make a meatloaf and uh, it was crazy because what I would do is I would fry it, but it wasn't like, you know, burnt to a crisp and like this, I would end up wrapping it and wrapping it and wrapping it in foil. So it was like insulated. And then it was almost like a submersion oven, I guess. Uh, and I would, and people loved it there, but I could only make it when we were slow. So it was, <laughs> it was sort of like a treat for the, the crew when they were having a good night. Um, but just trying to find new ways or different ways to do old classics and things like that. I made a French onion soup once when the, the burner on my oven was broken. So I had to do it all in, in the, in the, in the actual oven instead of stovetop. So I had to like, broil down the onions and cook them down and 
you know, just, I like challenging myself because anybody can, you know, go look up a recipe online and it'll tell you step by step. This is how you do it. Do it for this long at this temperature and do it this way. And, you know, as long as you can read, you could probably come up with something passable, but I like to, you know, throw my own wrenches in if I can. Yeah, that's, and, and, you know, it's interesting because I don't remember you really being interested in cooking, but, but uh, I think you did have like a passing interest in it, didn't you? For when you were younger? Yeah. When I, after we graduated, uh, it was actually after Dearborn Heights and I moved back to Westland, uh, which is, you know, where I was before Southline, I ended up getting a job at this place. I don't even know if it's still open anymore or what, but it was called uh, Vintage Market. Uh, it was at the corner of Ann Arbor Trail and Middle Belt. Hmm. And I actually got a job there working in the pizza department, uh, which is kind of funny because, you know, 15 years later, I ended up working at a high-end Italian restaurant making pizzas. Um, but Vintage Market did catering and gift baskets and um you know, we had the pizza department. Dude, it's department, still there. I know I know what you're talking about. It just hit me. It's still there. I, I, I've been there before. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Once you started describing okay. it. Yeah, so there you go. So they are still open. I know the owners that I worked for were selling it right around the time that I was joining the market. Um, so anything that happened after that is just lost to me. But that's, uh, I still remember, it was, it was a guy named Don. Uh, he worked at the deli and he's kind of one of the ones that really kind of took me under his wing and kind of showed me how to cook. And one of the good things about vintage market was because it was, you know, a party store, which, um, I'm assuming, you know, a good amount of your audience is, is from up North. But when you say party store down here, people are like, you mean like party city, like for Halloween and stuff? No, like a party store up in Michigan is like, you know, tiny little grocery store. Um, but one of the things the owners, when I worked there, they encouraged creativity. They're like, make something. If it sells, it sells. If it doesn't, it doesn't. So we could just go out down the aisles and grab this and grab that and just slap stuff together and put it up for, you know, businessmen to come and grab a, a piece of on their lunch and things like that, or somebody coming for a quick dinner and, at the end of the day, if it's sold out, you know, we made money. Awesome. And if not, I took it home and ate it myself. Yeah. So that's where I, the, the little fire for, you know, passion for cooking sort of took place. But then when I joined the Marines, I wanted to go be a meteorologist. Um, and looking into that, there's so much math involved with it. And uh, I'm not a fan of math. And, you know, it's still a passion of mine and I still love weather and things like that. But I was like, you know, a, a food in, in or a food career would be a more reasonable career choice for me at this point. So, yeah. And you're about I a did. decade in now. So it, 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 as far as the math thing, you didn't even you said uh, you, you don't even like calculating the time difference between Michigan and <laughs> Alabama, which is just an hour. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so no. there you go. Yeah, and, like, my brother lives in California, and he's like, you know, call me around 6. And I'm like, oh, that's that two hours ahead or two hours behind? I, no. there's, I mean, obviously there's math and cooking, but um, not not to that degree. Yeah, man. Um, what is what, Your wife's name is Stephanie, right? Yes. What does she do? Uh, she is a housekeeper. Uh, she works. Um, in our apartment complex, she flips uh, empty units and gets them ready for the next people to come move in. And uh, it's good for her because, you know, she likes to clean and things like that. She's a, she's a homebody and uh, it knocks off uh, money off of our rent. So, you know, it works out for everybody. Uh, tell me about meeting her. You said you met her on Twitter. I know we're going back a little bit now, but, uh, how did you said you met her on Twitter through a Red Wings group? Yeah. Um, 
There was Go ahead. back in the day, back years and years ago, there was a um a big online community. It was actually a lot of bloggers, because uh, that was popular at the time. And I ended up running my own blog for a little bit, uh, once I kinda got in the group. But there was uh, a large group of Red Wing fans that all sort of stuck together on, on Twitter and you know, we we all ended up being friends with each other and I'm still friends with tons of them to this day, like on Facebook and things like that. Um, we would do meetups. Uh, at one point when I was on leave from the mines, I went up uh, to Michigan and we had a big meetup at a, um, Hard Rock Cafe or something like that downtown during a Red Wing playoff game and like 20 30 people all come and meet up and we all sat there at the bar and watched the game together and we did a uh a protest uh outside of the joe lewis arena one day that got shut down by nhl officials um and that was one of my biggest brushes with uh national fame because <laughs> uh sports illustrated and yahoo sports and espn just took like excerpts of this interview that I did with the Detroit free press and just painted me out as like some like nut job conspiracy, uh, like tinfoil hat wearing, like the NHL is out to get us. So I had like San Jose shark people like threatening me and stuff like that. It was crazy. Um, but in that whole group, uh, there was this one girl that, um, you know, we, started talking to each other and I noticed like in her profile picture, she had a, a poster in, in the back of uh, her room where she took the picture and it was a, a him poster or blanket or something like that, that she had hung on the wall. Oh man. And not him. a lot of people I knew at the time liked him. Uh, so that's kind of how we started talking. And then uh, one thing just led to another and, and is she from Alabama then? Uh, that's, that's actually a funny story in and of itself. Uh, she was born in Alabama, lived in Jackson, Michigan, uh, and, and then around that area for a, a good amount of time, and then ended up going back to Alabama with her family. And so I was telling her this story one time about uh, me and my friend Dan, uh, we went out one day and he was, you know, hanging out with some girl and we went to Taco Bell and I accidentally threw this girl's keys away and I had to dig through the trash and find her keys and come to find out years and years later that the girl that Dan was hanging out with that day, whose keys that I threw away was actually a friend of Stephanie's. Oh man. So we had been passing by each other throughout our entire life. Um, she lived in Jackson at the same time that a friend of mine uh, was uh, at a college in Albion. So I actually drove past her house one day. And so she's originally from Alabama, did time in Michigan, moved back down to Alabama. And uh, so... And so that's where you guys ended up and you're, and, and you've been, I mean, how, what do you think of mobile? Like, I mean, did, did it take a little bit for you to adapt to, or did you, did you, did it click with you right away? Uh, I'm still not used to it. <laughs> uh, I'm still not fond of it. Um, but the funny thing about mobile Alabama is it's about as far South as you can get in Alabama but Alabama's got this weird thing going on where the further south you go, the less southern it is. Um, because Mobile's a big shipping city. Uh, there's Austell that makes like uh, um, Navy boats and stuff like that. So you get a lot of people that aren't just from the south living down here. So it's a little less southern than, say, you know, Birmingham or Tuscaloosa or any, any of those further north big cities in Alabama. So 
it's a little, it, it kind of softened the blow of living in the South. But then, you know, if you follow politics or anything like that, you realize, you know, you just kind of got to face palm and go, oh my God, I do live in the South, don't I? <laughs> yeah, I see your Facebook posts where you're, you're yelling at various congressmen and, you know, and, and, and things uh, like that. Yes, Bradley Byrne is my arch nemesis. <laughs> Which is funny because Stephanie went to school with his son and uh, they sat at the same table at some honor ceremony and now he's... he's I, don't, a, I don't know if, if you'll get in trouble, but he's a douchebag. Yeah, no, no, this is the internet, so it's it's there's free speech and all that. Um, But... uh. Yeah, man. Uh, Not if he had his way. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, shoot, man. The, the the one thing I actually wanted to bring up that was uh, related to Alabama, and it's kind of a little bit of a of a. Uh, I'm digressing a little bit from the conversation here, but I'm just curious. Did you listen to the podcast S Town by any chance? Are you familiar with that? Uh, I I have only ever listened to one podcast, and that is this one. Oh well. All right. <laughs> well, S Town, uh, you know who Ira Glass is, right? This American Life on NPR and all that. Yeah, NPR. It's it's that team. That team put this podcast together, and it's about this guy who lived in Woodstock, Alabama. And uh, have have you heard of Woodstock, Alabama? No. It's um, up near. I want to say it's it's either near Birmingham or Montgomery. I can't remember which one. Um, but it's, uh, it, without getting too deeply into it, uh, it's, it's about this, this guy who, who was, uh, who lived in, in one of these rural communities and he called NPR and said, there's been a murder in this town and the cops covered it up. They sent a producer down there. The producer investigates this murder and one thing leads to another. And then it's a complete twist. Uh, it's not what you're, the story doesn't go the way that you're expecting it to go. Um, but it's, it was, I don't know if it was the most downloaded podcast ever, but it is certainly it might be the second most downloaded podcast ever if it's not the first. It is it received unprecedented attention. They talked about doing a movie about it that the guy who directed Spotlight would have directed, but I don't know if that's happening anymore because the guy who was the focus of the podcast, the guy named John B. McLemore, uh he uh his estate is suing the there's some legal shit going on with uh between the the production team and his estate because they, uh, without spoiling, I mean, I'm going to just have to spoil it, but he, he ends up dying about halfway through the podcast and, uh, they, uh, and everything that they talk about after that, he, there, his estate is like, we didn't give you the, uh, permission to, we never actually gave you permission to talk about this shit. So, um, but it is a fascinating story. And if you live in Alabama, like you were just talking about the face palming and living in the South, um, you would you you should listen to that. It's like listening to an audio book almost. It's very good. And everybody else that's listening, I just uh, you know you can go ahead and listen to that too. And uh, don't 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 stop listening to American Winer, but uh, go check out S Town as well um, and podcast Detroit yeah. in general. Uh, don't uh, don't forget to do that either. But um, yeah, man, uh, shit, dude. I I mean, it's I, I said at the beginning. Uh, it's it's interesting to talk to to you because like you know it was right after I graduated and it just occurred to me why we started hanging out so much it was local band shows I had been going to these local band shows for the better part of a year and I never went with anybody I didn't have anybody to take along with me and uh it ended and for some reason me and you you ended up coming along like quite a bit and uh, and then that was kind of how we started hanging out was going to these these local band shows down in Canton and Westland and uh, Livonia and all these different places. And uh, I mean, oh, and then we <laughs> and then that because we graduated in the in uh, 2004, spring of 2004 uh, from high school. And then that fall, we made a documentary uh, of general interest of, uh, titled of general interest about the uh, fall play. Uh, at our former high school, and uh, the woman who directed that, Donna Cupper, was on the podcast back in November. Uh, so, uh, so that's that was sort of our our main bonding exercise because, well, you know, we had we to, hung out during uh, Kiss Me Kate because uh, we were both 
like major minor characters. Um, right. And I, I think that's sort of how it all really started. And then, you know, it was the band shows and then the documentary and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, that was because it was like we were part of groups in in drama. Like I did mention drama, and and you're right, Kiss Me, Kate. You played uh, was it what is the name of the guy, the stage manager? What was it? Ralph? Yeah, Ralph, Ralph the stage manager, and I was also the haberdasher. Yes, you were the haberdasher <laughs> as well, and then I was one of the gangsters. Uh, I was the second gangster, and we. You're right, we were both kind of major minor characters because we had lines. Um, we were parts. We had songs that we were part of. Um, but we weren't leads, so we had a lot of time to just kind of sit around while the leads were doing uh, the heavy lifting, and uh, and that's kind of for what it's worth. Not not to cut you off, but we stole our scene. Damn it! Like we we did our job. <laughs> yeah, well, it was that was a blast. That was still that was easily the best year of grade school for me, and it was all because of of the of drama. It was because of the drama program. Um, do you remember that without, I mean, I do want to do some reminiscing while we're here, but there was, I remember we were backstage and I think I, this had to have been a rehearsal because if it wasn't a rehearsal, I can't believe we didn't get chewed out. But, uh, there was this, it was basically a meme, like a real life meme where you would, uh, make these goat noises at the very beginning of the show when everybody was behind the curtain. And uh, it was right at the beginning of the show, which says, if you're familiar with the show Kiss Me Kate, it starts off with like this, the the uh, stage crew of a play preparing for a uh, for a, a new show. And the song that's that opens up the show is called Another Opening, Another Show. And so we all flood out on stage. And before we flood out on stage, we would sit right behind the uh, one of the curtains and wait our turn to come out. And then we'd come out and do the dance. But while we were sitting behind the curtains you just you started neighing or like bleeding like a goat and it was, uh, it was the random animal game i would just make whatever noises oh that's what it was and then and then other people started like i would be a goat and someone would be a chicken and then someone would be a horse <laughs> yeah it was yeah the, the random animal game yeah and then and so and so that was that was the one thing I remember involving you from that show and I do remember one specific time the time that I'm thinking about which I mentioned it has to be a rehearsal uh cuz I don't think Cupper would have let us get away with doing that uh during an actual show um but uh you were you were really going for it you were really like overdoing this this performance of this goat and you went to go on stage and the you tripped on the set and you just you doubled over and you you because you'd hurt your shin and you couldn't walk. And I remember somebody just grabbed you and dragged you into your spot on on the dance thing. And then you, I don't know if you struggled to your feet and, and tried to do the dance, but I do remember you holding your shin and you were also laughing because it was fucking hilarious. Um, but yeah, I mean that's just you know it's stupid little shit that you do like that as a kid that that that's what sticks out. You know, it's uh, the good the biggest thing that I remember from that show was uh, I remember there was the scene where the bird would fly down and the lead actress whichever because we had two playing the same part yeah, would cast. sing with this bird and then the bird would sing back like, like from a Disney movie and I think it was like the very last rehearsal before opening day we got uh, the, the, the prop manager to replace this realistic looking bird because uh, one thing I don't, I don't, I, I didn't catch the episode with uh, Mrs. Cupper, but she wanted to be as close to Broadway as she could. So everything was like realistic. And we replaced this realistic looking bird with like this, like foot large rubber ducky that just comes down and Everybody else on stage just starts cracking up because there's this huge rubber ducky flunking down from the ceiling. And I think it was me and like three other people that were in on the joke. We knew it was coming. So when it came down, we stayed in character and everybody else was cracking up. And Cupper like lost her mind about people breaking <laughs> character. And it was this whole big lesson about whatever happens on stage you have to maintain your character and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, we were just always 
messing around backstage and I remember throwing Mentos and stuff at people while they were doing their scenes on stage. And I was just a general nuisance. (laughs) Yeah. And and I, uh, I I don't remember the rubber ducky, but that is good. I do remember with the bird. I remember uh, uh, me and the other, the guy who was double cast as the second man in in the other cast. uh, We decided we were going to shoot it twice. Because we're the, yeah. the the scene is the the female lead is singing to this bird like you said and it's singing back to her <clears throat> and uh, and then as it flies away the gangster shoots it and it dies obviously and then it falls to the stage and it's it's this big laugh but you're only supposed to shoot it once well we decided to shoot it twice once it was on the ground and I remember Cupper actually instead of getting instead of being upset about it was like was like you should have said something because we could have made the bird jump the second time that you shot it uh so so that's another little little memory there but um yeah man I, i'm I, i'm trying to think like i've got I, I did write down some questions here and like things to to talk about drama oh yeah uh so after you moved to Dearborn Heights, because that would have been in what was that, like 2005, something like that. And then, yeah, because we hung. So it, it seems like we hung out way longer than we did because, like, you were, you got me into a bunch of different music. Like, you, you were the one who really got me into Tool. You got me into Smashing Pumpkins. I don't know if anybody remembers the band Keen. They're, the last time I heard anything from them was in the recent Winnie the Pooh movie. Uh, they played Keen in the trailer. But I remember you showed me that album, um, and you just you burned all these different CDs for me, and so that was a that's another memory or whatever. Um, but uh, so it seems like a lot. We were hung out for a lot longer, but it was really only probably maybe a year, a year and a half, something like that. But in that time, it was literally like you were the guy. Like, like I'm not, you know, you know, what am I doing today? I'm oh, probably hanging out with Rob, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, it was it was good times. It was a good way to uh to spend the year after high school because I was just going to community college and I didn't really know what the hell I was doing. I actually worked in a pizza joint at the I worked at Chuck E. Cheese and at uh Tormina's in town uh at that time. Um and uh and yeah, we, so we we just would kind of dick around. I mean, we wouldn't really I remember the first thing we ever kind of bonded over when we were hanging out one-on-one was Mitch Hedberg um, and uh, the Mitch All Together album. And then I remember you were, I remember you telling me when he died, we were in uh, the Starbucks at Northville. Yeah, we were upstairs. Yeah, yeah, and I thought you were fucking with me. I was like, there's no – because we had been complaining about stuff, and, and, and it was just one of those days where we were like, yeah, this fucking sucks, blah, 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 blah. This is, I'm stressed out about this. And I remember you were like, yeah, and Mitch Hedberg died. I was like, no, he fucking didn't. You're like, yes, he did. And, and this was before smartphones, so you couldn't pull up your smartphone and be like, look. But I do remember we went back to this. Probably must have been your uh, your uh, uh, condo, and uh, and sure enough, it was like, and it was like, what the fuck? That's that fucking sucks. So um, I actually have like a uh, one thing I've been doing because my my siblings, my sister and my brother live in L.A. now. And I've been out there to visit them. And I have this sort of uh, morbid fascination with the graves of famous people. And Mitch Hedberg is buried in Minnesota, not far from where uh, a couple of my, my dad's brother's family and my mom's sister's family uh, all live. So I, I would like to go see that someday. And, uh, and if I do, I'll send you a picture of it. Because so, that's the closest I'll ever get to meeting him. Um, but, uh, but yeah, man. So um, God, people are... But um, yeah, dude. So I mean, was there anything? What else do you want to talk about, man? I mean, this is pretty much uh, this is the conversation. I, I I don't really, I don't like I said at the beginning. I don't do this this way. I just thought I was like, this is this would be an interesting thing to try because we haven't talked in so long, and it's it's good to hear that you're doing well. I mean, you know, the fact that you're married and you have a career now, you have a skill right that you can take pretty much anywhere you need to take in order to to make a living those two things right there are are you know they're good for you 
it's good to to be stable like that. So, and I know that you were you were kind of, you know, we would talk and you were kind of not really sure what you wanted to do when we were younger. So it's nice to see it settled and and you know you're 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 doing. Uh, it seems like you're doing okay. Yeah the the best thing for me as far as being a chef is that you know yeah there are some places where if you don't have uh, culinary arts degree, or, you know, you're going to go to Virginia college. Um, you know, some places will look down at you for that, but for the most part, you know, you can be a self-taught chef, uh, as long as you have like the passion behind it and the creativity and you understand how like the ingredients work and how things, you know, how to cook things and the difference between what baking will do and what broiling will do and all that sort of stuff. So it, it's, it can be a really good hobby, but it can also translate into a career. So after I got out of the Marines, you know, I, I had a GI bill and, you know, college just, that's not for me. They, they want you to do, more stuff than you need to do for whatever your chosen career is. You know, you got to do like, you know, even if you're going to medical school, you still got to do like art history and stuff like that. It's like, oh yeah, because you know, when I'm diagnosing tuberculosis, I need to know about Monet. No, that that doesn't come into play when it comes into cooking. Um, yeah, there are you know certain processes and things like that and French technique and things, you know, that I, I don't know. I could probably learn if I wanted to, but that doesn't really handcuff me per se. So I have this GI bill from when I was in the Marines. And when I was working at Pizzeria Delfina, I talked to the owner and I was like, you know, this is something I could do. And he's like, you don't need it. You know, it, it's more about, you know, where, you've worked rather than where you've learned. So as long as you can, you know, always keep pushing forward, you can further yourself that way instead of, you know, you can be uh, a savant with a camera, but if you haven't gone to art school and stuff like that, National Geographic's not going to hire you. You're not going to get a job at the local newspaper and that sort of well, what do you like to do? Well, I'm, I really like to take photos. That's not going to get you a job. But if you go to a restaurant, the the main thing is you have to want to learn. So any chef, you know, any head chef worth their weight is going to be willing to teach you how to do these things. And it's twofold. A, because you like to expand this realm because, you know, the, the, the people that put the food on your table at a restaurant are some of the, I've, I've been reading uh, Anthony Bourdain kitchen confidential. Lately, <laughs> I was going to just ask which, you about him. That's funny. Yeah. I was going to ask if you have any like influences or anything. Uh if, if you've ever worked in a kitchen, if you've ever eaten at a place that has a kitchen, I would really recommend reading this book. It gives you a ton of insight onto, you know, what goes on in, in, in the kitchen of the places that you're eating at. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of, you know, he tells all these stories and it's, it's a tale that's told, you know, through every restaurant across America where, somebody will come in as a dishwasher and you know, all of a sudden someone doesn't show up one day. So all of a sudden that dishwasher is you know, shoved into place and okay, now you're going to, you're going to be the fry cook. So all right, how do I do that? Well, when I tell you to put this shit in the basket and put it in the oil and then you go from dishwasher to fry cook. And then the next day the salad guy doesn't show up. So you're pulling the fry cook over to work salads and then you're pulling the new dishwasher over to work fries. And Yeah, I, I was actually a dishwasher at Outback for nine months uh, in 2000, from 2005 to 2006. And uh, I had that shot. I remember they, they had me one night try fry cook, and, uh, and I did not get the rhythm of it down. 
and 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 that was the end of that. But I'm I was fine with that because I didn't want to you know stay. I had no intention of staying. Uh, excuse me, in the restaurant business. So that ended up working out for me okay. But uh, but yeah, that that is interesting. Um, there's something I wanted to have you thought because you you said you're you're you you like the challenge and you like being creative. Have you thought about going on any of those uh, like reality show chef competition type type uh, deals? I okay. I watch them religiously. I watch Chopped. I watch uh, even things like uh, Worst Cooks in America. Uh, my favorite was Cutthroat Kitchen. Um, Alton Brown was actually even before uh, working at Vintage Market. Alton Brown with his show Goody. I used to watch it come on every night. Actually, like between 1 o'clock and 2 o'clock in the morning on Food Network. And I would watch that every night. And that's sort of where I, the bug got put in my ear about cooking because he teaches, like, the science behind it. And he teaches, like, very basic recipes. And his whole idea is I can show you how to do it and then it's up to you to make it better. Um, and he had a cooking competition, Cutthroat Kitchen, where it was, you know, people sabotaging each other. <laughs> so it's like, huh. you know, uh, instead of using your hands, you got to make this meal wearing lobster claws because nobody expects the lobster claws. And uh, it's, it was just like the perfect combination of like humor and just like interest. Like, how are you going to get through that? Um, but like, I'll, I'll watch Chopped and things like that. And you know, they open the basket. And it's like, what is he going to do with a durian? And I'm like, I don't even know what the fuck a durian is. Yeah, I've never heard that. So I don't, I don't think I'm cut out for that just yet, but I, I do still have time. But uh, I do love to watch those shows and just learn things. And a lot of times, you know, I'll be sitting there and Stephanie will be watching it with me. And I'd be like, this is what I would do. And then like five minutes later, the person's like, and then it hits me. I'm going to do this. And then she just looks at me and I just kind of nod and go, yep. So yeah, it's like, if, uh, if they did like a, a, an amateur version, I might be able to, um, but I, I don't think I could work with like, you know, high end crazy ingredients, like some of the stuff they have on those. Yeah. Well, it sounds like right now you're kind of at the level of like a person who watches Jeopardy a lot and knows just enough of the questions to like to know what they're doing but they're not quite you know they're they're not quite confident enough to uh to be able to go on there and and pass the test that you have to pass in order to be considered for it and blah 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 so yeah give you another 10 years and and we'll see what happens huh is there any type of food that you like want to end up making or like any type of restaurant that you want to end up in or do you have a are you happy with what you're doing now I would love to just own my own restaurant and just, you know, whatever I want to put on the menu is what we have on the menu. Um, and that, that's the one downside of basically everywhere that I've worked so far is that, you know, you're still at the mercy of people higher than you making the decision. Um, so I would love to eventually, you know, if I, if some angel investor wants to, you know, give me a bunch of money that I can open up my own restaurant. Uh, that would be amazing, but I would just love to run my own place. And it would just be like a general, almost like, like a better Denny's <laughs> where, you know, cause I, I'm, I'm not tied to just any one sort of style. Like I can make a really good steak. Uh, my wife makes amazing chicken enchiladas things like that. So I, I don't want to be tied to just one thing, which a lot of people say, you know, that's, that's the fastest way to fuck over your restaurant is to not have an identity. But what if your identity is just good food? I don't know. Uh, that's, that'd be my, my, my dream. Cause I, you know, when I look through the kitchen and that's, if, if I ever, got my own like food network TV show, which would be like another awesome dream. It would be, you know, how to cook on a budget in like a small apartment. 
you know, you don't have the fancy ovens and the fancy, you know, a rotisserie to get this awesome chicken and you don't even have a blender. How do you, how can you still make good food with that? And I could use that you know, too. That would be a good show for me Her <laughs> good. Yeah, uh, and yeah, you know, people trying to make a paycheck stretch, you know, towards, you know, Thursday night, you get paid Friday. You got like six things in, in the cupboards. It's like, well, what can I make with this? You know, if I have some rice and a little bit of this and a little bit of that, you know, how can I make a decent meal out of that? And dude, dude, you know, that's, that's, you know what that is? That's a fucking, that's like a Facebook page and a YouTube channel. That's what that is. And you could start that whenever you want. Like that's, that's actually a really good idea, man. I would, I would highly encourage you to, to try something like that because you could just do it whenever you feel like doing it. You don't even need to be consistent with it. Well, I, I am not very social media savvy. Uh, my Instagram is awful. I, I do run an Instagram for my cat. Uh, that's my party cat is, is the handle on Instagram. So if anybody listening wants to go follow, come check out my cat. He's awesome. Uh, um, but that's, that's like the closest I've been to actually running anything like very consistently on social media um well that would be i mean because it's it's just if i heard of that channel like that's a good idea and i'm sure there's already people that are kind of doing that sort of thing like like how to stretch a paycheck into a good meal or how to you know but like if you i don't know i I would at least check it out if, if i if you ended up doing something like that so just just an idea um but uh but yeah man believe it or not we were at the top of the hour so i gotta wrap this up um Hey, we made it. Yeah, yeah. So thanks for coming on. Um, it's good to talk to you. If you hang on the line, I'll give you a proper goodbye after we're off the air. Um, but uh, it's good to hear you doing well. And um, you know, let's uh, let's talk uh, sooner than another ten years <laughs> after this. Or if you're still doing this in ten years, we could just you know maintain radio silence and then do it again. Yeah, that actually, and then it could just be like an update every decade type thing. And uh, and maybe yeah, the next like, time I talk to you, you'll have your own restaurant then. And and that burgeoning uh, YouTube channel. Yeah, there you go. So uh, thanks everybody for uh, for listening. Uh, next week I have another friend of mine coming on. We're gonna kind of do the same thing that we did here tonight. Only he's gonna be, I believe he's gonna be in studio. Um, so uh, yeah, his name's Brian Hayes, and uh, I've known him since middle school. So that's gonna be interesting, and we're gonna catch up with him. Uh, so. I will catch everybody then. My name is Alex. This has been American Winer on podcastdetroit.com. Thank you, everybody.